I'm Michael Foster. And I am non-tenant. And you're listening to It's Good to Be Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and Father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. Hey, Michael, what are we talking about this episode? Uh, this week, we're going to talk about two related concepts. First is the idea of soulmates, or what those red pill guys would refer to as one-itis. And then second, something that we talk about a lot, is the principle of mission, then marriage. You don't have very many guys that talk about, you know, having a soulmate. I mean, you hear it every once in a while. You usually use that, you hear that language coming from from women and maybe like, uh, you know, Romeo, angsty teenage boys. But most men don't talk about soulmates and they certainly don't believe the the original heretical doctrine of soulmates, which we'll, we'll get to uh, in a second. But uh, there's some other words that might dis- describe the same underlying idea that happens in soulmates. What are the the words that the red pill guys use? Well, I think the one that Rollo Tomasi has coined is one-itis, which for some reason is always spelled with a capital O-N-E uh, before the itis. And <laughs> one that we talk about a lot, which I think is a fairly common term, is the idea of putting a woman on a pedestal or pedestaling a woman. So it doesn't really matter what you call it, soulmates, pedestaling, uh, one-itis, you know, the idea of the one and this is a premise of lots and lots of romantic movies and all this. And it's actually a really, it's a really destructive idea. And it's not biblical at all. It's actually an old pagan doctrine. And so it's the whole idea of a split soul theory is where it comes from. The idea that there's, there was just like one soul that was split by the gods into two bodies. And if you if you Google it, you can see some of the, the pictures like originally humankind or and I have to say human because I can't really say mankind. Humankind mm. was this weird four-legged, four-armed being, right? They were separated by the gods, and they have to find their other half to, to become a complete person. But you had pointed out, Non, that this actually fits really well with the newsletter we just put out called Androgyny is Literally Paganism. What did you mean by that? What I meant was that when you look at the idea of the soulmate, the idea that you, you've got these two halves that have been split from a single unity, that's doing exactly the same thing that paganism does with everything, which is taking the created distinctions and trying to mush them together and saying, these created distinctions are not what ultimate reality is. If you go back behind reality, then you get to this one, that, that this perfect unity where plurality just kind of disappears. We've talked about the way that God curses this idea of taking the the distinction between the creator and the creation if you eliminate that distinction he curses that and the reason for that is that the creator creation distinction is imaged in male and female so it makes perfect sense that if you are going to be eliminating the creator creation distinction you're also going to be having you're going to come across this idea of soulmates continually because you're essentially saying man and woman almost a defect um, masculinity and femininity aren't ultimate reality ultimate reality is this sexless androgyny, and we want to get back to that. And that's what soulmates ultimately are, are about. What's funny is that you really find soulmates smuggled into the church through Adam and Eve, right? Every Adam's got to find his Eve. Every Eve has his Adam. And this idea that you've you got to find this one right woman. 
And it's just not, you don't really find that idea throughout most of history, as far as I can tell. And I, I've studied this a, a bit, not as much as I would like to, but as far as I can tell, it really got anchored into the culture of the West with romanticism. And Elaine de Bottom, I think his name is, he's got some really interesting YouTube videos. I think he does School of Life on YouTube. That's his channel. And he's got some great presentations on romanticism. He says, romanticism proposed that true love must mean an all, uh, or end to all loneliness. So romanticism is saying, when you find the right person, you will be complete. And you will never be lonely again. And they will, they will satisfy you. And they will fulfill you. And that ties right into the concept of one-itis. It, namely, it says that if you find the right spouse, the right woman, then you'll be complete. And that, that's, that's not, not what Scripture teaches. That's not what's going on with Adam and Eve. Well, of uh, course not. Because, I mean, that ties into monism by turning the woman into the deity. It's saying the beatific vision, the, the union with God, participating with God through the Spirit is actually what you do with your wife. It's taking the image and making the image the reality. Yeah. And so, and this is what's going on with guys. They don't even realize this is what's going on with them when they, they're stuck on this one woman. They got to find the one right woman. And once they have her, then they'll be complete. And you see this, this, this destroys marriages big time. We'll get to it but because what people think is that their, their wife can satisfy them, that she can complete them. And she can't, she, she was never, never designed to complete him. But what would the evangelicals say? Uh, what would their retort be? Their retort would be, well, it's not good that man be alone, right? And so uh, uh, God gave him a wife, gave him Eve, and to which we would say, yeah, but why? What's the context of that? So what is the context of that? Well, God looks at the creation that he has made, and he's modeled the way that he forms it by dividing and by filling. And we talked about this in the newsletter as well. It, there's this constant division and filling process going on. It's like a two-step cycle, divide, fill, divide, fill. And he creates Adam. Adam is made to divide. He's made to separate and to, to break apart and to build up. But he isn't made to fill. He's, he's not capable of producing more people. And so he says it isn't good for the man to be alone because he isn't going to be able to continue the process of dominion, which I have started. I need to make a suitable helper for him who can take on the role of filling just as he takes on the role of dividing. So how she was a helper to him is she is helping him fulfill the mission that God gave to mankind, right? So a woman and a man both find completion when they are walking in the way that God made them to be in fellowship with God. So the, it's not about Adam finding a missing half. Adam as a man was fine. Adam as a man on mission, he couldn't do it. He needed a wife. This is super important because soulmates, I think, it guts good marriages. And I was introduced to the concept of soulmate in Christianity. I just became a Christian, uh, I think 1997. And Amy Grant was a really famous, maybe she still is, but a really famous Christian singer. And she kind of crossed over with a couple of hits. It caused a lot of controversy. She was good looking when she was young too. So she married this other Christian singer named Gary Chapman, who I don't know a single one of his songs, but don't you have his whole collection on, <laughs> on vinyl? No. Oh yeah. 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 But I've, I've never heard his music. Anyway, she, um, she divorced 
Gary Chapman and remarried Vince Gill. What I remember hearing in an interview or reading somewhere, and this happened right around 99, 2000, is that she said that, that Vince Gill was her soulmate, not Gary Chapman. It was Vince Gill. She thought that gave her permission. Like, like he's not the one that completes me. Uh, Vince Gill is. He's my soulmate. And so when you expect your spouse to be the thing that completes you, it, it puts your marriage in a very dangerous spot because they're not designed to complete you, right? That's, that's a tremendous burden. And so that's romanticism actually doesn't lead to this happier, more satisfying marriage. It, it guts it. It guts it because you're asking someone to be something they could never be, and that's gonna they're gonna fail you, right? And, and it's it like you continually discontent because you think that if if you feel like something's missing in yourself, it, it's somehow the other person's fault. There's nothing missing in yourself. A man isn't somehow incomplete without a woman in in his inner self. Everyone is a complete person. It's just that they can't fulfill the creation mandate by themselves. It's a mission issue, not a person issue. And you and I were just talking about, before we started recording, that if our spouses were to die, our wives were to die, uh, that we would definitely consider remarriage. You know, for me, if I still had kids in my home, probably would want to take another wife. But if I didn't, (laughs) you know... I deeply love my wife, but we've developed this relationship over having a bunch of kids together, going through a lot of things together, you know, being on mission together is where we have just, you know, we've, we're like, uh, you ever seen where a tree uh, grows around a fence, like the fence is going through the tree. That's us. We've been together for a long time, doing a lot of work together and I'm very close to her. And I don't want to go through the whole process uh, of doing that again with another person if I don't have to, Uh, but I could, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a betrayal of my wife or my vows or the concept of marriage because the reality is, is that the, the, the planet is full of good potential wives for you. Right. And that's what people don't believe because they're, they're romantic and they think that somehow honors their wife more. And I, I just don't see it. Not at all. But it doesn't honor your wife to think that there's no one else who could continue the work that she has begun. I have four kids. The oldest is 11 and the youngest is only just one. If my wife died tomorrow, I need help with those children to raise them properly. That's the creation mandate is to be fruitful and multiply. I I cannot continue the process of being fruitful. uh, And I don't mean having more children. I mean, raising up the children that I have as godly seed. I can't do that by myself. I need a help me. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and so for me, it's not, it's not just because some erotic need. The older I get, the less that's an issue. The more self-control I've developed and the more there's missions. Like there is an advantage to not being married. I remember when I, uh, when Emma and I were just dating that I, I was part of this skateboard team that I, I managed. And we'd go travel all around from city to city. And I preached the gospel to all these skaters that would come to these outreaches. And uh, I wasn't tied down to anything. I could do whatever I want, whenever I wanted. It was really easy to take risk. And someone would say, hey, do you want to go to this town tomorrow and just call off work and drive, <laughs> just take off? I can do it. You know, nowadays that with my family, I'm planning months and years ahead because I have to, because I have all these people with different needs that depend on me. And so I, there would be an advantage for me to not take a wife once my kids are, you know, strong. So it's not just the, it's people have this real limited view of thinking marriage is merely about 
uh, sex. And that's why I always tell people red pills, blue pill. <laughs> yeah. It is because when you listen to them, they'll say, well, we're not, we don't put women up on a pedestal. And you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you put six on a pedestal and what sure, do you need for six? Yeah. And so it, they, they uh, don't want to be committed. It's funny. You'll hear them when we discuss being settling down with one woman, being married, having a commitment to that woman and having children, they see that as purple pill or blue pill. And that just shows you really at the core of it is that they're men driven by lust and that don't want to be committed, that don't want to be on mission. Their mission is just to kind of have that easy going life and, and controlled by, by pleasure. That's why soulmates, you know, when I just saying that the, the, the opposite sex is where you find your fulfillment is so destructive. You see it both in the blue pill guys, these white knights that put women up on a pedestal and you see in the red pill guys who are trying to get the, the, the something that only can come from having women at the center of your life. Yeah, red pill guys are kind of characterized a lot of the time by just trying to crack the code of what makes women tick. It's like they're kind of, they remind me a lot of um, apostates people that leave the faith and they become atheists, but instead of leaving the faith behind, they become even more obsessed with it. They're just coming from the other side now and trying to convince everyone of the truth of Christianity that they, you know, discovered and their eyes were opened and they walked away and now it's all tr untrue and they have to let everyone know. It's really important to them. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, they haven't moved on at all. This ties into the other thing we want to discuss, which is the whole idea of before marriage, you, you need to figure out your mission. A good verse for this is Proverbs twenty four twenty seven. Prepare your work outside and make it ready for yourself in the field afterwards, then build your house. The concept here is pretty simple, is that if you're going to build a house, you, you got to, you've got to get all the foundational stuff laid out. So you, you got to do your prep work. And a lot of guys, and we, you and I have talked about this, a lot of us get a wife and have kids, and then we realize, oh, no, I don't know how to be a man. <laughs> that, was, that was me. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just this punk guy with a motorcycle. <laughs> well, for me. It was like I, all I had. <laughs> that sounds like so many guys. I remember my, my first apartment. I had my computer, my computer desk, because it was a desktop, a couple chairs, and then a bunch of boxes. <laughs> <laughs> And then a refrigerator full of like condiments and half of a pizza probably. So, did you have a beard? It seems like a lot have, of guys these days don't have a beard. I did not have a beard back then. I think I probably had a goatee, which not, I not a not a beard, a beard, a bed, a bed. How do you say a, it? A bed, a bed. Oh yeah, yeah. I had a bed. Yeah, okay. that's yeah. You know, that's my really wife tells me a lot of guys. She reads a lot of Reddit, and this is how she knows. A lot of guys don't have a beard; they just have a mattress. Well, I did. I did stay in this A-frame for a while with a with a, a hippie that smoked a lot of marijuana, and I had a uh, a air mattress that had a leak in it, a real slow leak. So what <laughs> I would do is I would blow the air mattress up, and then I lay on it. And when I wake up in the morning, all the air was out. <laughs> yeah, some cool. tape would solve that problem. What's that? Some sellotape would solve that problem. No, well, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm a, like I said, uh, I got married and had kids and then realized that I didn't know how to be a man. So <laughs> I wasn't very crafty at all, but you get, you gotta do your prep work. And this is the problem. These, these guys, they start chasing women first they start going after finding the, the one. And the reality is you don't, 
have you don't have a house to bring a woman into. You don't have much to offer. And you see a lot of these guys out there who their their problem is one reason they're not getting a woman is women want a man that's got it together. You know, a man that has resources, a man that can take care of her and take care of her children. A lot of guys resent that. She should just love me for who I am, right? And so they'll talk about uh, the burden of performance. But that's what it means to be a man, to get things done, to conquest, to to win, to, to take ground. What are some basic categories, some questions a guy should ask himself as he's trying to develop a mission for his life? Okay, well, I think there are a couple of questions which are actually related, and that has to do with your gifting and, I guess, your motivation, the things that make you tick, things that you really want in life, things you care about. And those tend to be related because you tend to be, you tend to care about the things that you're good at. So you look at your gifts, you look at the things that you're interested in. And a lot of guys, instead of looking at those things and saying, what is it that I actually want to do? Where am I going? And how am I going to get there? they assume that a woman is just going to fill in that whole, uh, that whole purpose for them. It's the woman who becomes the mission for them. And instead of creating a mission and then bringing a woman alongside, they decide that finding a woman is the mission and she'll continue to be the mission for the rest of his life. Uh, they get married and making her happy becomes the mission, which is a terrible burden of performance for the woman to be under because she is never intended to make him happy. And she knows that he is created for something more. And if all he's doing is treating her as the mission, she feels not only is she being shortchanged, but she realizes that the guy himself is not really good material and it makes her discontent and resent him. Yeah, exactly. And and so a lot of guys, when I talk to them on the phone Uh, they'll say, well, how do I figure out my mission? And I I think they take it a weird, weird direction. And I'll just ask like, well, tell me, what are you doing, man? What's tell me about your, your career, your vocation? How are you making money? What are you doing with that money when you make it? What are you doing at church? Are you serving anyway? Are you looking for opportunities to, to become more of a leader at church? And really a lot of this stuff is just tossing yourself into life. You know, it's not like, okay, I figure out my mission. And then I go do it. Actually, no, you toss yourself into the work of manhood, which means being able to take care of yourself, being able to discipline yourself, to, 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 to actually have something to offer. I mean, I told one guy, I said, what's going on in your checking account right now, man? Like, how much money do you have? Right? What, what's, do you have debt? Get independent, get strong, get anti-fragile, and, and look for the ways you can best use your gifts. And I remember that uh, I've, I've made a lot of my money in collections and sales. <laughs> so in collections, that's where you get people to pay debts back. So Emily and I started dating in high school. So I didn't, I didn't have a career. You know, I, I worked part-time as like a, a cook at Bob Evans and, and did a couple other, you know, odds and ends. But I took a job working for Citibank and it was between sales and collections. And sales... I would have to wait like two or three months and I needed a job right now. So I took a job in collections and then found out like, hey, I'm really good at listening to people and finding out what motivates them and getting them to make a decision. So from there, I developed a career in collections, ended up working for Sally May and a couple law firms. 
and really developed a career where uh, I can drop out of the ministry and get hired wherever I go, uh, which is exactly what I've done recently. I've taken a break from vocational ministry and had a job immediately. And that's because I put some time into developing my gifts, which is mostly uh, analyzing, thinking, persuading, listening, counseling. And so you, you need to really figure out what are your gifts and how can you use them to give God glory and expand his kingdom? You know, what is, what, what vocation is a good use of your gifts? A lawyer, entrepreneur, are you, are you strong? Do you really have a vision for how to make things line up? Maybe you should be a bricklayer, a construction worker, a foreman. There's just so many ways. And when you say, when you, say you know what, that'd be a good expression of what I care about and what God's given me. Well, then, okay, develop some skills and disciplines uh, that you're going to need to excel in that vocation. And so then you pursue it with singleness of mind. This is kind of what the red pill guys mean by monk mode, <laughs> though it, it does take kind of a goofy, a goofy direction. They're like a little, everything about red pill, <laughs> everything about red pill is almost like, like autistic, you know, because uh, a bunch of engineers, man. Yeah, so everything's so over-the-top and mechanistic. But what I mean by that is just – so obviously monks in the, the Roman Catholic uh, Church are celibate, or at least <laughs> supposed to be celibate. And so the idea is to, to, to put aside women for the moment and to focus on developing your career, uh, developing excellence, masculine excellence. So chase excellence, not women. One thing it might be important to mention at this point is you don't want to get one itis with regard to your career either, just as you're not going to be completed by any particular woman. It's not that there's one particular woman out there for you. It's the same with the work that you do. There isn't one particular work out there for most people. I mean, some people are going to really excel at one particular thing and usually they'll figure out what that is. But, you know, I worked in IT for 10 years and it was a good occupation. It paid well. but after a while, I got sick of it. Uh, I enjoy IT, but I figured, you know, I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. Let me try something else. And so now I work for myself as a web designer, and I much prefer that. But sometimes it takes a while to figure out what you're doing. It is, it is putting the pieces of the puzzle together, right? Because you, you need a career, but you do have guys that fall in love with that and you can't really build a name or a household with just a career. It's it's a it's an issue of priority of having things in proper order, and so a lot of us do get the pieces, but we get them out of order, and that causes a lot of trouble. And we have to to kind of reorganize later in life. I got the wife early on, and children, and I didn't have I hadn't really developed my career too well at that time, and that's hard when you start having babies every six, 16 months or so, you got to be able to provide for them. So yeah, that, that's great. There's not just one career that's going to make you happy. So you need to find a good expression of your gifts and you don't want to make your whole life just about a career. You, you know, you do want a life and it's about bringing these things together to create a, a household, a name. You want your last name. I want the foster name to give God glory. I want that to be a good family that people trust, that have integrity, that uh, that's a good heritage for not just my children, but my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So guys, do, in the beginning, pursue 
your vocation, pursue a mission, ability to provide, ability to use your gifts with a singleness of mind. Go after that first, right? Adam had a mission. He needed a helper. And so that's why God gave him Eve. And the creation pattern reveals a lot about God's design. It's natural for a woman to want a man on mission. She wants a man that's going somewhere. So where are you going? You can't lead if you're not moving. Where are you moving? For sure. And the upshot of that is it's much easier to find a godly wife when you've prepared your field. A man on mission is just more attractive. Uh, if you know, if you think about a man tells another guy that he's dating a new girl, one of the first questions is going to be, what does she look like? Is she hot? Do you got a picture? Yeah. Yeah, you got a picture. But if a woman tells another woman that she's dating a new guy, the first question tends to be, what does he do? Now, looks do matter for ladies, obviously, but the mission is really important to them. And and this is why nice guys finish last. See, they think they think a woman should just love him, love them for for who he is on the inside. And these guys forget to be a man is to be someone that produces, to have productivity. And a woman is never going to just love you for who you are, uh, because it's it's actually artificial to make a disconnect between who you are on the inside, whatever that means, and what you do. Right. If you're a good man, a godly man, the wise man that Proverbs describes, you're going to be a man that is productive, that's diligent. And so this is how she's, she's saying, what type of tree is this? Well, she looks at the fruit on the tree. And this is why nice guys finish last and why, why jerks get the girl. You know, guys know this. They know that, that for some reason, women respond to jerks. And women will deny it. Some will. But only when they're in the room with men. Not when they're in the room. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. And, and so here's, here's why this works out this way, is that a nice guy makes the woman the mission. And we, we cited that article in our latest uh, newsletter about how these women are marrying these perfect nice guys who are androgynous men, and they're dumping them. And they don't have a real good reason. They're just dumping them, and then they're marrying. And, and then she doesn't really dial in on this in her article, uh, but she talks about how they'll marry traditionally masculine guys. Yeah, you mean they're looking for a man, a normal man, not a man that's like a woman. She um, even uses the phrase bad boys. That's right. And so this nice guy is putting her up on a pedestal, which means he's, he's lowering his mission. He's demoting his mission in favor of her. It, whereas the bad boys, the jerks, they don't do that. They're, they're driven. They, they're going somewhere. He, he becomes attractive, not because he's, he neglects her or, or cuts her down or always disagrees or does his own thing, uh, not because he abuses her, but because he has an in, independent drive that supersedes her. He's in, he's in the driver's seat, and he's, he's going somewhere. And women, women want an adventure. Right, my wife is like tripping out right now. She's so excited. Tomorrow morning at six a.m., we wake up, we put all the kids in the E three fifty Econoline wagon, and we're going on a six thousand mile trip, which is kind of insane. Part of me is already like, "What have I done?" But she's super excited. I'm going to go show her the world. I'm going to go show her Yellowstone Park, and um, we're going to go to uh, Redwood National Forest and see a volcano at Mount St. Helens and and she, women just want a guy that's going somewhere. They want a guy that has a mission and she's either with it or she's not. Well, it's quite important to actually zero in on this point here because it might sound like we're saying women want jerks or you should be a jerk. 
but that's actually not the case at all. Women don't necessarily want jerks. Jerks, being a jerk isn't helpful. Well, <laughs> it can be helpful if the woman's damaged, but for a well-adjusted woman, being a jerk isn't helpful. The thing that's- about jerks that attracts women is that they have their own mission and they're not changing for the woman. But you don't have to be a jerk to be that, to be that way. Women don't want jerks. They want badasses. You and the word ass... Uh, I'm always having to edit out. I'll leave that one on there, but I want you good. To, it's good to be a man listeners that have like little, your little uh, thin skinned. I try, I try to keep them <laughs> I, I do my best. And here's a, here's a crazy thing is if you get to the core, the core of why women find that attractive and, and you become that you become driven, you know, you become the one that is giving direction. And, and this is where, now I'm going to cuss, okay? This is what the red pill, where they bring up the concept of a shit test, where a woman will test a man to see if he is the one in the driver's seat or the one in the passenger seat. Can you help explain this concept, Non? For sure. Basically, a woman is always going to be pushing against a man's authority. She's going to be pushing against his what the Red Pill guys call frame. Does he have gravity? Is he stable and centered? Um, Or can you just push him out of orbit? Because she doesn't want a man she can push out of orbit. She wants to know that, in effect, he is secure and stable and that she's going to be able to stay around him without spinning off into space. And so guys will, especially modern guys who haven't been taught anything about this, a woman will come out with these strange some strange arguments or you know strange disagreement or some issue that she suddenly raises and they'll be like why are you why are you bringing this up you know it's cool and they'll try to smooth it over and placate her she doesn't want to be placated yeah so with those tests she wants to see can you pass the pass the test and it's not like this is just to their nature right they want to know they're 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 always testing to see if you actually are a good leader and so, for example, this the, the real common sort of comedian a topic that comes up a whole lot is uh, what restaurant you're going to go eat at. And I, I found that I will suggest to my wife a restaurant, and she'll say, well, what about this restaurant? Right, right away. And then I'm like, all right, we can go to that restaurant because like most guys, I don't care. I don't like don't have deep convictions about that stuff the majority of the time. And then she'll say, oh, well, we could do what you want. Right. The whole thing's like kind of a game. Um, and you'll see this happen in bigger ways. I mean, guys do this to each other too. Guys do it by insulting each other. Can this guy take? Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. how you get into a peer group. Is there some right. kind of a hazing ritual, right? If they can't take it, you don't want them. And so learning how to pass that test, like to pass the test is if you come back too hard after a guy like calls you a name, right? If you get too defensive and push back, what's going to happen is everyone's going to laugh at you even harder and they're going to know that you're thin skinned. The key is, again, to maintain frame, uh, to listen, uh, to take into what she's saying. And so, honey, I'd like to go to this restaurant. Well, why don't we go to this restaurant? Well, this one, let's go this way. This They've got this this really great dish I had or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Or a woman is test when she tests you, the thing is to stay calm and to not get defensive, to hear her out and redirect and show her that you've put thought into it. This is especially important during the dating relationship or courtship, whatever you want to call it. I, I know that, that what a woman look is looking for is a man on mission. That's the whole thing. And so she's just testing to see if you have drive, if you're going somewhere. 
Doug Wilson recently got called out on this by Todd Pruitt. He lost his mind, um, quoting from Reforming Marriage. Doug Wilson says, wives need to be led with a firm hand. A wife will often test her husband in some area and be deeply disappointed and frustrated if she wins. It is crucial that a husband give to his wife what the Bible says she needs rather than what she says she needs. So a godly husband is a godly Lord. A woman who understands this biblical truth and calls a certain man her husband is also calling him her Lord. It is tragic that wholesale abdication on the part of modern men has made the idea of lordship in the home such a laughable thing. Todd Pruitt lost his mind about that, but Doug Wilson is exactly correct. So again, the takeaway isn't to be a jerk. The takeaway isn't to be nasty or dismissive when these tests come up. You should be kind and humble. Jesus was kind and humble. Jesus is a man. He's more of a man than any of you are. Okay, He is the ultimate man, the perfect man, the second Adam, our Redeemer, our Savior, but our King and Lord. So if Jesus is kind and humble, so should we. But then... You get to John 6, the end of John 6. Everyone leaves him. He turns to his disciples. He doesn't say, guys, please don't leave. He's like, are you going to go too? What's up? You guys gonna you guys going to take off? And so he was driven to accomplish the mission given to him by the Father. Nothing got in the way of, of his mission. And I know I haven't – I'm kind of like I make really good decisions every couple of years. Like I make one really good decision. And well, you know, if you have to make them at least once every couple of years is something. Yeah. And then, and then they, they really pay off down the, the long run. And so I remember when I was interested in Emily, she, uh, I wrote her a letter and told her I was interested. And, and so Aww. she read the letter. Yeah. Sweet, sweet. Um, and so I was walking her home. And I told her, look, I, I, I really like you. Uh, I, I, I want to get to know you better. And here's the thing, though. I know that I am called to the ministry in some way. And I had been reading a lot of biographies at the time. And I had I'd just finished Fox's Book of the Martyr, or <laughs> Book of the Martyrs. So I told her, I said, look, I, I know I'm going to be hated. I'm probably not going to have much money. I'm going to probably be poor and I'm going to be away from home a lot. You're going to have to share me with a lot of people because that's the nature of the ministry is that you're, you're live among the people. And if that's a problem for you, I'm going to tell you right now that this relationship is not going to work. And so that she like swooned, right? She, like, <laughs> she was totally into it. And I didn't know, no one had taught me that, you know, I mean, I, I just was being what I was, a man. And men naturally want to be driven. And part of our problem the time we live is that we're gutting men of their masculine drive, right? We're shaming them or they're being diverted into pornography and video games. Because what is a video game but mission, right? And that's what guys want. So that was 20 years ago for me. And I, I stayed on mission. I, I got... I got the girl and still have her and we're still building a family. And this is where I really think guys should focus. So in other words, marry me and join my mission or hit the road. It's not going to work. That's exactly right. So just to tie this up, figuring out your mission isn't, it's not a silver bullet for finding a wife, right? It's not, it's not going to mean that the women are going to start lining up, but it's where you want to start. <laughs> it's not like a wife magnet. It doesn't just yeah. make them magically appear. But I will tell you that being without a mission, being all putting a woman on a pedestal is is something that will, will repel a woman in the yeah. in the long term. 
Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Uh-huh.